All right, we are live. Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with our co-host, Joshua Morgan, BDEX marketing extraordinaire, and of course, David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. Today's guest is Kamala Thompson. Kamala is Vice President of Marketing at Caliber Mind, a leading B2B marketing data platform that helps customers reach campaign performance goals faster. Kamala spent 15 plus years in revenue operations in the tech industry in a range of roles as a marketer, a content creator for some of the leading tech and B2B brands. Um, and she's deeply familiar with the pain points that op te ops teams face as, in, as is passionate about helping ops professionals accelerate their career. In addition to all of their, this experience, she also hosts Caliber Minds podcast, The Revenue Marketing Report, where she produces expert-fueled content devoted to helping B2B marketers hone their craft. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I'm a B2B marketer, so um, that's definitely speaking my language. So thanks for being here, Kamala. Thanks so if you much. Could, <laughs> could you please start from the beginning and tell us your story and what inspired you to get into marketing? Sure. So uh, it was a bit of a roundabout path. I uh, was in college. I really enjoyed both the arts and math. I love math. Uh, so when I came out of college, wasn't really sure what to do. Ended up falling into operations. I spent 15 years in operations spanning marketing, sales, and customer success support in the B2B space. And honestly, kind of burned out a bit and decided I wanted to do something drastically different. I had published some books and decided let's give writing a try. So that's how I made my foray into marketing. And here I am. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. Um, great to meet you. Um, let me ask you a question from your perspective. What would you say are the biggest challenges that, that brands are facing today with respect to first party data? Uh, collecting it. So <laughs> as we all know, and I think B2B marketers, I, I tend to see that B2C is about five years ahead of B2B and realizing some of the issues we're up against. So we're seeing a lot of changes in privacy first design, particularly around browsers, as you guys know, I'm sure, but it's something we have to proselytize on a, at a very consistent basis. Um, we're finding that in addition to the data challenges that come with privacy first, and then the laws like GDPR, CASEL, things along those lines, we're seeing more resistance in handing over their personal information. And that's understandable. I think it's a, a sign of where the market is today. A lot of people are fatigued, they're tired of being online. There's a much higher threshold I'm seeing in that value transition when they feel something's valuable enough to give them your personal information. So I'm noticing that starting out with hitting them up for a demo or something along those lines, not working as well as the uh, thought leadership value plays. Yeah, that's a good point actually um, that I, I wanna expand on just because you know we see that a lot. Uh, and we talk to a lot of brands and, and about that and really, I think that there needs to be a very clear um, and transparent value exchange, right? In order for the consumer to give up any information today, right? They're very resistant to that. Um, but if they feel like they're getting something for it, uh, I think that, and there's a lot, you know, it's transparent how that data is going to be used and what it's going to be used for and who has access to it and all that, then I think people are more understanding and, and 
it's about brands building relationships. You know, they have to build those relationships and build that trust, right? Uh, in order to get consumers to actually give up that their data. Totally agree. Wow. So out of curiosity, what would be like the top five things that make your life easier in the digital marketing uh, arena, especially when it comes to data? Oh, so where possible, uh, data enrichment is, is so powerful. So we're using Clearbit right now. We have that integrated with our website and Slack so we can see companies as they hit our page. Uh, we're using intent signals. Uh, so earlier signals that we have piped into Slack and Salesforce. So a lot of the integrations that we're seeing from a lot of the data vendors have been really useful in making our data more actionable faster. I'm also really fortunate to have the platform we do because we track everything from anonymous web visits and down to uh, sales activities and product signals. So when we're talking about expansions and renewals, we can see whether or not logins are behind, activity is behind. That is so valuable as a marketer, particularly a digital marketer, when you're building a strategy. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious, and this, this is kind of a question for David and Kamala, um, but I want to sort of dig into, you know, growing your data and like, how does it, what does it look like? So what do you think is the most important thing a brand can do as they scale their marketing data from a CSV list to a CRM to an identity graph? From a B2B perspective, so many ideas are popping into my head, but David, if you want to run with that first. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the the important things are, you know, what we originally, what we already discussed is one, um, having full transparency with the consumer so the consumer knows how you plan to use this data um, and sticking to that, right? I mean, there's too many companies in the past that have gotten in trouble for misusing data. Um, so brands really need to have some way of making that promise that they will keep the data secure uh, and that they will actually um, use it only in the way that they say that they're going to use it. So that's sort of first and foremost, as far as being, you know, for me, what I think one of the most important things is if you do that and you do that really well, then you can you can have the opportunity of actually collecting data, right? Because only then will consumer want to share with you. Um, but, you know, there's, and as you're scaling, you know, as, as Jesse was saying, as you're scaling to the point where you have a small list to the point where you have a very large customer list and, you, and you're using a CRM and you need to, um, understand who your consumers are across the entire sort of journey. Um, having, you know, building an identity graph becomes important at that point, because now you need to be able to connect the dots between who is this person that I might know from the perspective of their name and address. But if you, you know, you need to be able to at some point connect that to who is the, who they are online, what is their online identity? you know, whether that be an email address or mobile IDs, or, you know, in some cases, the CTV world as well, um, so that you can be communicating across all channels to them. And that is just obviously especially important on the consumer side, but, you know, uh, on the B2B side as well. And I'd love to hear your, you know, your input as well on the B2B side. So on the B2B side, I think one of the nuances that makes things extra difficult is a lot of, well, one particular CRM that has the bulk of the market share decided to split people records into leads and contacts. 
and contacts are associated with counts, leads aren't. So having a system in place, the B2B buyer journey, if you have a larger product, let's say 50K plus, people are going to come in and out of the buyer journey, and you're going to have multiple people on the account that are engaging with you. So it's really important to understand how that data is structured in your system so you can get a holistic view of the account. If you're keeping people isolated on lead records and they're hanging out there, uh, I think in the data world, we call them orphans and you're not automatically converting them into contacts so you can get that holistic view. It can be really hard to understand their level of engagement and whether or not the account is moving forward as a whole. So I think that's kind of a nuance that's uh, we do really well with because we're fortunate, but I think a lot of B2B marketers struggle with that. Um, and I also like your point about the value exchange. I think we all know that first party data is king, but another struggle with B2B marketers in particular is the turnover we're seeing right now and how quickly people are churning out of their jobs. So having a realistic outlook on uh, how quickly your database becomes stale and it's really fast and having enrichment and other mechanisms to be able to update your data passively is best. So as people are logging emails and finding things and things are bouncing, if that can feed back into your CRM to help keep things clean, you're just so much better off. Yeah, excellent point. So I have a kind of a two-part question here. What is What do you think is the cause of the churn? Because that's kind of an interesting point. Um, and then also, how do you think uh, identity resolution does improve that first party data? Um, so the churn question, like, why does anybody get burned out? I think that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty big question. I think a lot of people have been pushed to an emotional extreme with everything going on in the world. I think we're all under pressure with COVID, losing family members, all of the things that happen. And it's forcing us to really question um, whether or not the company we're with aligns with our values. So I see a lot of people who have seen the benefits of remote work, proven that they excel at being productive, and their company is still saying, you have to be in the office at least three to four days a week, even if COVID's still going. So I think a lot of different things are going on to contribute to that churn. Um, and now we're seeing some instability in the market we're not seeing a lot of change in how much revenue people are, are bringing in, but the tech company evaluations are going down and it's causing a lot of angst on the part of executives. So we're already starting to see some layoffs as a result of that. And that can be like a knee jerk reaction to uh, these big changes in the market. So I think we have a lot of different factors that are contributing to the amount of churn we're seeing in terms of identity resolution, helping with first party data. Uh, so in our system, as we have people um, hitting our website, provided they're in the U.S. and they accept cookies and first party cookies, that's important. Um, as they identify themselves later on, we can post fill all of that information. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the question. I kind of got distracted there. I apologize. I got all stirred up with the why, why is churn happening across the industry? <laughs> Well, no, it's just, I, I was curious about that because I was kind of watching, they were joking about it and the, and the guy was like, it was like a little skit and the guy was like, he goes, so just tell me which two days that you, uh, you want to come to the office. And the guy was like, well, which two days do you need me to come in the office? And he goes, well, you know, Wednesday we have a great taco bar and Thursday we have a great social hour. So he's like, 
so you don't really need me to come in here. And the guy was like, I don't understand why you're asking this. And it's like, okay. Well, and so many marketers, uh, we supplement our teams with contractors all the time and they're never in the office. They're remote. And this has been happening for, you know, at least a decade, decades. I, I just, I, I guess I'm not as tied to having people in the office as some folks. People are either going to be productive or they're not. So I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm an introvert. So that might be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, I feel the same way. <laughs> so uh, for David and Kamala, um, what do you think brands can do to leverage the power of their first party data? And also, Kim, specifically for you, um, what do you think that brands can do, especially small brands can do to uh, make sure that they're respecting their audience's data privacy? So um, ways you can benefit and leverage the first party data, I'll give you a really tangible example. Like I mentioned, we have larger size deals. They last a long time. We deal with a lot of different personas. I was able to use our attribution tool and clear bin enrichment and all these pieces together to see when personas were hitting our website. And that completely changed the strategy. And we're through going through the process of changing our homepage and some of the core pages, because what we noticed is our language is really well tailored to the operational person, but the people who are hitting our website first are at the CXO VP level, and they're going to have a completely different perspective on data and the technology. So having that, I'm getting goosebumps because having that information is so powerful because we can go from a VP or CXO coming to our website and saying, this is a bit over my head and I don't think that we're ready for it because it seems too complicated to, that solves the problem I have. I'm going to have somebody on my team continue the research. So there are so many ways you can take that information and turn it into a marketing strategy. And then when it comes to um, making sure that smaller brands respect the data, it's really, it's really up to the marketing leader to own the philosophy on how that data is treated. So um, I've seen a lot of smaller companies go really gung-ho and come up with a communication strategy where they're hitting people all the time, and it's not necessarily what they signed up for. So investing in a resource, whether that's a contractor or somebody in-house that can come up with some kind of subscription option so they can tell you exactly what they want to hear about and then put your foot firmly down and say, I only want to communicate to these people on this cadence and we're not going beyond that. I think that's really critical. Yeah, I think those are great points. Absolutely. So um, I guess I'll jump in here. Um, Kamala, what is something you think B2C marketing could learn from B2B marketing? You know, I kind of think of it the other way around. I'm always looking to B2C to try to learn from them <laughs> because I think B2C has for a very long time understood empathy and solving a problem and trying to identify with the personas they interact with. And I feel that B2B, with a few notable exceptions, we tend to feature spew and talk about our technology. And it's just backwards. So I really try to embrace what I'm seeing in the B2C 
space, we use a lot of memes, a lot of humor, and then we're also trying to approach this from a value first. How can we solve an adjacent problem and establish ourselves as experts? I just think there's so much to learn from B2C. And you guys are way ahead of us in terms of understanding the data landscape, particularly privacy first, the the laws around data. It, they impact us all equally. I just don't think B2B has responded as much as we should. I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, we do, obviously, as a consumer data provider, we work with a lot of companies that are B2C, but we're a B2B company. And, and the challenge for us has, and I've always been challenged with, okay, as a B2B, you know, we, you know, we're not, I, I feel like we're not able in some ways to, um, to do some of the things that are like more humorous, like doing memes and things like that, that they do in the B2C world. But just as you were saying that, I pictured in my head a meme that was like an identity thing where, you know, there's lots of bots and, and, and the, all those bots represent a person because like, that's one of the things that we're always talking about is data quality and, and, and helping people understand that identity isn't always identity. And a lot of times you're, you're linking people to bots and things like that. So now Jesse, Josh, I think we got to work on a, we, we have to work on a, a meme for us to, to put out there that is uh, an identity related meme. And I think that we can oh, love that idea. I love that I got you. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. The thing that challenged me is we had um, somebody do exit interviews for opportunities. And one of the things we were consistently hearing is that one of the salespeople on our team is highly empathetic, really great at ans asking questions. And that's what stuck with them. So even if they didn't buy, they referred us to somebody else. And it was all that relationship and interpersonal piece. There's, you're rarely going to quit a company because of the technology if they're trying hard. You're going to quit a company if they treat you poorly. And I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind as a B2B company. All great points. And um, so the second part of that question was, what do you think B2B can learn from B2C? But you already jumped into that. And I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. I say it all the time too. Like mm -hmm. like there, I made a post this week and it came out of this competition I'm in out of Hype Cycle, go to market campaign. I was telling you about it before the live, but um, they had a post. It's like, they call it B2B boredom. <laughs> uh, it's like their games are the B2B remedy, like B2B boredom remedy. I think it's hilarious because it is a little bit spot on. We are a little boring in B2B sometimes. And even the graphics we choose, we still show everybody in an office. It's like, how unrelatable is that at the moment? <laughs> Come on. I know. The stock images. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Stock images. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> We need stock images of people working and there's a dog on their lap and, and, you know, they're, they're exactly. trying to feed their, their, their infant at the same time, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that would be more realistic. <laughs> oh my well, gosh. So Callan, let me ask you a question. So you have a lot of experience in revenue operations. Um, and so that has a lot to do with aligning different sectors of businesses. So since we're data oriented podcasts, um, can you tell us a little bit about how data can play a key role in that process? Oh my gosh, yes. I was just talking mm -hmm. about this with my sales leader today. So we've seen a lot of B2B companies, or I witnessed this cutting my teeth in tech. A lot of sales and marketers were kind of at each other's throats. And a big 
component of this was a misalignment on goals. So I would see the marketing team getting uh, assigned an MQL goal and the sales team has pipeline and revenue. And then you start to see the marketing's behavior veer away from what supports the sales goal. So it's, um, it's just so frustrating to watch. I mean, I've seen marketers pack in a bunch of content syndication and other pieces of information. It's good information. You should use that to nurture too, but they're not ready to talk to sales. So aligning people on the same goals and having them understand how their data can feed into those goals and feed the next step down the funnel, critical. So should I ask how you feel about gated content? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually, um, we ungated the vast majority of our content. Like I said, we have enrichment running on our site. We have three key pieces that perform consistently really well that we do gate and feel offer enough value for that exchange. So I think it has its places. I don't think they should be treated on the same par as somebody who's like, hey, I want a demo, you know? Definitely. That makes sense. All right. Let's let's go back to when you very first started. And so if you could take one piece of advice out of like all the stuff that you've learned and like give it to yourself when you very first started, what would be that one piece of advice? Um you know, I think it's, you're never as stuck as you think you are. So I went down a long track in revenue operations. Um, I thought because you were good at something that you had to continue down that path. Exploring other things I was interested in opened up so many doors for me and I didn't have to black, backslide on my career path. So, you know, just being open to the possibility of change, I, I think that's something I'd would have liked to have known earlier. <laughs> and then what are other kind of important lessons that you've learned along the way? Because there's, a, you know, I mean, you've learned a ton of stuff. There are people that are pivoting into marketing and, and that would love some life lessons that they, you know, that you've learned along the way. Well, uh, let's see. So on the more empathetic woo-woo side, uh, I highly recommend Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. Uh, it really changes how you market. So understanding people's emotions and needs and how that drives every decision, whether you're in a B2B office trying to figure out how you're going to solve a problem or if you're at home, um, I think it can feed a lot into your marketing. So I'm a huge psychology nerd, listen to a ton of podcasts, do a ton of reading. Uh, so highly recommend that. And then on a less woo-woo side, get into the data. And if, if you don't have that as your strong point, it's time to look at that honestly. Is, is that somebody, somebody told me or somebody told me that I'm not good at data or am I really not good at data? Because there are stories in data. It's not just numbers, you have to know what leads into it and where it leads to. And that's super powerful as a marketer. So if you're not comfortable with data, really inspect that and see if it's a skill set issue or if it's something you've been told. If it truly is a skill set issue, learn how to partner with people who do have that ability because they're going to help you so much. 
Have you seen that um, LinkedIn meme? It's like a picture of Legos and it shows like messy data and it's like all the yes. broken up. And then it's like structured data. And then, they, then they have like a beautiful house built and it's like, this is the story you can tell. Yeah, no, I was, I was showing website data to uh, the broader organization today. And I'm like, if you look at any one point, you're missing the context. If you're looking at all of the points, it tells a story and it's like reading tea leaves a little bit, but there is a story in there. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that was a book because I was like, man, VDEX is tame. Who's who's having violent conversations? <laughs> Actually we all are. Uh, as we judge ourselves and say we're terrible at something, that's considered violent. It's it's a really interesting theory. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you think that B2B will ever get to the point, like, for example, and this I've used this example a lot, Old Navy basically gave their advertising, their marketing to the consumers. They said, hey, make us commercials. And then they used those commercials on like TikTok and Pinterest and Instagram. And, it, and so it was very relatable to the consumers because it was the consumers making those commercials. Do you think B2B will ever get kind of close to that to where it is fun? I think so. And I think we're starting to see signs. So a lot of companies are starting communities. Um, they're learning they can't lead with product first. There's learning how to relate to people as people and seeing them not just as robots. I think that could be worked into your meme. Um, but seeing people as humans and giving them the reins a little bit more, I am seeing more B2B companies who have people generating content on behalf of the brand. And I wouldn't have thought we'd seen that a, a few years ago. Like this is new where people are becoming the mouthpiece of the company and that's that's special. So I think we are trending in that direction. It's gonna take some time, but I think we're getting there. I like it, cause even if you get on, on TikTok, some of the, uh, um, the advertising on there is still kind of very dry and they're missing a really good opportunity. Someone's got some noise there. That's me. It's called a landscaper. That's uh, part of the problem with uh, not having my own studio. I think I need a studio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just saw the best comment. People are people. Spot on. We're still selling to people. We're not selling to some Borg. Yeah, that's such a great exactly. point. I thought David was getting ready for those violent conversations. <laughs> Texas chainsaw That's style. Not a chainsaw. <laughs> I appreciate Amir so much. He shows up to the Deconstructing Data podcast every week. So it's always fun. I'm surprised we haven't heard his comments about David's ships. So uh, there was one. Well, there was one. <laughs> oh, really? Did I miss it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if, if Amir has a TikTok channel, we need to have him be doing some BDEX dance or something for us. Oh, totally. Maybe he could come up with a BDEX commercial for us. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good idea. It's happening right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, what do you see as the future of the use of data in marketing? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking to the privacy laws and how things are getting an, a lot strict. I think that's a knee-jerk reaction to how we abuse data to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I hear differing opinions on how much people are going to cut back on the data we see. 
So I think the trend is going to continue that we need to figure out a value proposition and that's going to continuously change. The bar is going to move, but that value for data exchange, I think is just going to become more and more important. Absolutely. What makes you the most excited about the future of data and marketing and, and also like what makes you the most nervous about it? Uh, I think the most excited is that we're leveraging it to talk to people instead of leveraging it to, um, I think we're just starting to learn that empathy and connection are what work, even in B2B. Um, what makes me scared is sometimes the amount of granularity I can get. So if I'm looking at an account, I see a bunch of different people and all of their activities that could be a good selling point for our product. And it can also scare people. <laughs> so uh, I, I do worry that we're kind of uh, hedging on stocking sometimes, but as long as we use the data ethically, I'm hoping that we still get the rights to, to continue. Yeah. That's what always scares me. scares me is the ethical use. You know, I mean, there's, there have in the past been too many, you know, people, individuals, companies uh, as a whole as well um, that have found unethical ways to use data and have um, made it harder for everybody else that, you know, that wants to use it more ethically. And, and you know, there's always going to be the, the bad actors out there, unfortunately. So that's always the one, one thing that makes me nervous. And, yeah. you know, we as a company have a policy internally that, you know, we are very careful at picking our customers. And so a lot of times people come to us with data, they want to sell data on, on our platform. And we're like, no, you can't sell that here. Um, and then there's other people that want to buy data. And we're, and, and, you know, our first question is how do you intend to use it? Yeah. And so we want to really make sure that we understand uh, that it's going to be used ethically first before the, you know, we even allow someone to become our customer, but yes. that's not everybody. Not everybody does that. And that's the problem. It's tough. Absolutely. So, what was that? I said, what else do we got? Did it, was there any other questions we had? Josh, did you have any more questions? I did not. I was, um, I'm, I'm working on memes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. I thought that was a really good um, ending on, you know, ethics. Um, unless there's anything else to add on that, I mean, data privacy could be a whole other hour long conversation, but um, just to kind of close out that conversation, what do you guys think could be done to make sure that we don't have to be so paranoid about data? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, <laughs> I think that, I think that we will get there. I think it's a process. Um, I think that, uh, without giving away too much of some of the internal projects that we're working on at BDEX, um, ultimately there needs to be a centralized system that helps um, the consumer understand where their data is going and who has access to it. And, and you know, sort of almost like a do not call list works, um, how that's sort of centralized. Uh, and I think that you know, in the long term, we'll eventually get to a point where the consumer has a little more control and transparency and into how their data is being used. And I think when we get there, 
I think that the sky is the limit to how it can be used then because the consumer can control it, you know? And if for one reason or another, they see something that they're not comfortable with, they can just turn it off, you know? Yeah, and I think Apple's already moving along those lines with being able to mask their IP address and, and opt into the, We're just seeing so many extremes lately. I think you're right. We, it will shake out. We're seeing the same with data and marketing. Um, we went from, because we're going digital, everything's trackable, to realizing mm, that's not the reality. A lot of that is due to this first party, the, the issues we're talking about right now. So I think... We're going to go from, no, you should just use your gut to somewhere in the middle, hopefully soon. But yeah, it's just, it's been kind of wild the last few years on a lot of fronts. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And probably get more wild since it's an election year. So let's hope that uh, <laughs> things don't get too wild. But, um, in closing, we would love to get input from listeners about what or who you would like to hear on VDEX's new podcast. What questions do you have, a.k.a. Amir, um, <laughs> that we should answer in our upcoming series um, that focuses on data trends and advertising and marketing around identity, machine learning, data privacy, and the future of data and marketing? So please send us any and all feedback to info at bdex.com. Share your qualitative data with us so we can make this a better show for you. But um, with all that being said, Kamala, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. And have fun with your memes. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you today. We'll try. We'll do our best to keep B2B less boring, more funny. Thanks, Kamala. Bye-bye.